Hello, Upstream listeners. This episode contains explicit content pertaining to murder and sexual assault, as well as mental health and a couple other pretty dark, intense topics. Uh, Especially there is a scene in this movie pertaining to children that we discuss. So if any of these are triggers for you or things that would be best served by you skipping ahead or going back and listening to some of our comedic episodes for a breath of fresh air, I would recommend that. If not, and you want to push on and listen to this episode, I would say proceed with caution. And at any moment, you could always just stop it and decide that it was not for you. All that to say, thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Your house is a fine little house, Jack. Are you allowed to speak along the way? I was thinking there might be rules. Let me put it this way. Very few make it all the way without uttering a word. But do carry on merrily. Just don't believe you're going to tell me something I haven't heard before. That was maybe a mistake. What was maybe a mistake? Me getting in this car with you. You might as well be a serial killer. Sorry, but you do kind of look like one. Some people claim that the atrocities we commit in our fiction are those inner desires which we cannot commit in our controlled civilization. So they are expressed instead through our art. I don't agree. I believe heaven and hell are one and the same. The soul belongs to heaven and the body to hell. think about all the things I've done in my life without in any way resulting in punishment. The old cathedrals often have sublime artworks hidden away in the darkest corners for only God to see. The same goes for murder. Hey. Hi. Welcome. To Upstream.
upstream our wonderful podcast where we oh we review, review those movies on those streaming services all of them so many it's honestly endless that's why it's called upstream, upstream. yeah that's where we're swimming we watched a movie holy shit what movie was it did we watch a movie it's called the house that jack built and please tell me who it was by so the viewers have context <laughs> lars von trier he's a german director and who's if, an interesting yeah. man to say the least to say the to say the least. least, yeah. If you're ever curious, or if you're just bored, you want to go watch some controversy, watch some of his interviews. He's yeah. got, he answers questions very interestingly. Would be the nicest way to put it. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. But this movie, holy shit! Fuck. Fuck. Shit. Damn. Damn. First off, it was two and a half hours long, and it was two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like it, but not in a bad way. Just like you're so invested Mm -hmm. did it feel like two and a half hours to you yes but like you're saying in a a positive way like when we when we paused it to use the restroom and there was still an hour left Mm -hmm. i was like holy shit how much more are they going to be able to pack in an hour a lot and they don't it's not like a normal movie they break Mm -hmm. it down to five incidences and he's over 12 years over 12 years and he over 12 years Mm -hmm. holy shit i didn't realize that and he's like explaining it, breaking it down, so it cuts one incident, cuts to it like that, and it still hits you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you can you tell our viewers what it's about? Yeah, yeah. So this movie is about a man named Jack, played by Matt Dillon, who is a serial killer, and we watch him kill many people in many different ways over a twelve-year period. 60. He says sixty, but by the end of the movie, it's hard to say 61. if there's more. Yeah, if, if there's more than that or not. Uh, but it was a, a commentary on, like, the mental state of a serial killer and, and psychopaths spe- specifically. And it was insane. It was a crazy-ass movie. I would like to say upfront, trigger fucking warning. There are some brutal scenes in this movie, um, some involving children, lots involving women, a couple involving men. If you're not for the faint of heart, not for the this the uh and they go for it yeah not for the weak stomach to say the least mm-hmm. um but the reason this movie has stuck with us and why we can't stop talking about it and thinking about it is because it was done in such a way where you were made to feel that everything he was doing no matter how horrific was beautiful and artistic yeah, and necessary an artistic medium and like he you needed it to happen and you needed to needed him to be able to do it so he could you know expel how he was feeling but there's this character whose name is uh verge an old man who we come to find out is his inner monologue of madness that get, that goes mm-hmm. deeper and deeper and deeper and by the end of the movie spoiler spoiler you come to find out that the voice of his inner madness is a guide leading him down to hell and there's like a wink wink nod nod to the seven circles of hell and the divine comedy when he says, you know, oh, you're actually, you know, a few circles up. I just wanted to take you down here so you could see. Uh, and the movie climaxes with the bridge that goes up, up presumably to the quote unquote heaven or back to earth. There's a bridge that used to lead to a pathway that goes out there and it's broken. And the old man gives uh, Jack the option to either try and scale around the wall to the bridge, which he said many have tried and none have succeeded, or to be taken to the actual hell that he's supposed to go to. So obviously he tries, fails falls in and the movie ends on a negative image mm-hmm. so like literally the light turned negative because the whole there's a whole argument in this movie by matt Dillon's character jack that 
the darkness he sees he's always seen it as an opposite so like as if as if it's like a negative photo and the old man verge is constantly basically dismantling and destroying the psychopath's rationalization mm-hmm. for making this type of art because you can't argue i mean you could argue that it's not art it is but you would argue the morality of this art i think pretty confidently saying that it's immoral the way that he is going about it (laughs) but like one scene that stuck with me that we've talked about a lot is when he is explaining the urge to kill and the release he gets and he uses the analogy of walking under a series of street lamps Mm -hmm. and how the shadow before him before he gets to the street lamp is like the desire and and the desire is hottest and darkest and most condensed when it's directly above him and then you know, he starts to feel that pull again as he's walking away and the shadow gets bigger behind him and the cycle starts all over again. And he explains it in such a incredibly in-depth and meaningful way that you're like, oh, wow, I'm, I kind of empathize with this psychopath. And then the old man comes in and just fucking destroys it. He says things like, Jack, it sounds like you're rationalizing something to make yourself feel special when, in fact, you're not special at all. Mm -hmm. Jack starts telling stories of women he's killed. And the old man says, you know, you say you've killed all these people, but you've only told me these stories of women that presume to be incredibly stupid. Are you a misogynist? Like, it's... I like that he made that point. Yeah, it's like as if the old... We're supposed to relate to the old man in a way that makes us feel uncomfortable by how much we uphold serial yeah. killers in our in our culture essentially it definitely felt like kind of mindhunter-esque as if like this man was locked away forever and we're having a final interview of like mm-hmm. confess everything you want to mm-hmm. yeah. give us an insight of why you did it what gets you all that stuff right and well what does he say at the beginning he says because we hear them walking through mm-hmm. the catacombs and Matt Dillon's character says, uh, you know, am I allowed to talk? And mm-hmm. Verge is like, oh, yes, people have talked and said many things to me over the years. And Matt Dillon's character is like, okay, well, I, you know, I have some things I'd like to share. Um, and yeah, you're right. So it is kind of like a last, con- it has like a confessional mm-hmm. last tone, mm-hmm. last confessional tone to it, yeah. which, which made it even more kind of intimate. And the way that, so fun fact, the way that Lars Van Trier, cuts a lot of his movies is that each cut is or each each scene and each beat is like 12 seconds or less yeah i didn't even notice that until Stephen started timing each shot mm-hmm. and so i think i i remember hearing a reading about why he does this or why his group of filmmakers that he's friends with does this and it's in an effort to get the actor at their most emotional point mm. and capture that moment and it, i mean you feel that like even that opening scene with uma thurman and Matt Dillon, when she's when outside of the car, trying to get him to take her to the mechanic, Oof. that whole sequence is like, you don't know why, but you are emotionally uncomfortable. And it's because we're getting each of them at their most emotionally available yes. for that scene. Man, oh man, did I just want to like, sh- like, shut her mouth. But what if she really wasn't that stupid? That was just him retelling it that way. Oh, I didn't think about that. I was just like, man, she's really pushing him. Because the old man pointed out how, why is Jack telling him these stories of these women who are apparently incredibly stupid? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's telling it, and they probably didn't say those things, didn't do those things. He just thought, wow, these 
these women are so stupid they're letting me do these mm-hmm. things so yeah like in hindsight he's rationalized it in that way and the old man oh, is I like thought about that yeah and the old man's like nope you've changed the story you know why is it mm-hmm. why is it that you've told me it in this order yeah, um, what i thought was interesting was so this character jack serial killer has extreme ocd mm-hmm but by the end of the movie, it's not as extreme. It's gone. It's gone. And and what's interesting is in a lot of other movies with serial killers, psychopaths, any of the sorts, they either have OCD and they have it. And it's part of how either they got caught or it's just part, like in the narrative uh-huh. or they don't. Mm-hmm. I haven't necessarily heard where it's... They had it, and it's as extreme as one of the incidences he is sharing with Verge is he had killed a woman in her home, and we're watching him, I didn't even count, go back and forth, because in his head he is stressing about if he left blood under a lamp. Uh, yeah, irrational spots. I- irrational spots that we know he has already cleaned, or that doesn't even make sense because... He strangled her, and then when he did stab her, she was already dead, but it was a slow step. Like, irrational, but he went back in that house so many times where he could have been gone and left, but he also liked playing the chase, like like a hide-and-go-seek. Come and find me, yeah. Yeah, come and find me, so it kind of worked out for him that he had such bad OCD, because he went in so many times at that point. There was a cop that was alerted to uh, a break-in. Mm-hmm. And somewhere else, though. Somewhere else. Yeah. And just so happened to see, you know, a red van in a home that he had known the owner. Mm-hmm. And obviously he got away with it and drove off with the body on the back of the van. Yeah. Dragging across the street. Um, But he, he got to the point where it was a more stressful situation for him. He had to hide the body. He had yep. to put the body back. He had to leave, like, yeah. go around this cop. Yeah. Playing this narrative of, like, you need to search all these grounds. Mm-hmm. When, if he would have just dipped right away. Yeah. It would have been easier. Right. But and and the fact that his OCD goes away because he's killing. That is crazy to me. Right. That I've each, never seen that. Each kill is making him less and less OCD and more and more reckless essentially you know confident yeah like he got to the point where you know he would clean up blood everywhere Mm -hmm. and then he got to the point of he would like to take photos of his victims but like stage them and he made a comment about how he didn't even clean these ones up he like left the bloody stuff behind Mm -hmm. and it wasn't a problem to him yeah there was a there was a couple scenes that were more haunting than others one of which was the one with the boy the boy and the boobs because of the screaming out the window and nobody coming let's talk about the boy first the boy first okay so yeah very trigger warning trigger warning yeah he kills these two little boys and their mom and that was the only family scene that we got that was the only family scene we got and presumably the way he was explaining it to him it sounds like maybe he was like boyfriend or stepdad at that point or something like something a hunting instructor instructor or something i don't i don't know but for some reason they trusted him enough to go out there and and to the wilderness and do the shooting range um what was interesting too is how he captured uh his 
a bit is attempting to mimic human emotion mm -hmm. so having the pictures of different emotional expressions and affect and practicing it in the mirror Oof, yeah um and the two other scenes that were disturbing what were the police officer scenes uh. one because of incompetence and two because of just blatant sexism and i'm sure that that was like the message uh, that we were that, supposed to receive that made me so so mad right yeah there there's a woman mm -hmm. that he is seeing and shit goes down and she realizes she's in danger and this cop is already sitting out of is sitting outside of this apartment complex with the fact of it's Maybe a lot of crime happening in the area, and that's why he's stationed right there. Mm -hmm. Well, he gives Matt Dillon a ticket. He gives Matt Dillon a ticket in the beginning, mm -hmm. sees that he's using a crutch, but then the woman comes down, and that is her only moment of freedom to get away, to get help. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to tell the cop that, you know, this guy I'm seeing is telling me he's like a serial killer, please help. Like, he's saying all these crazy things. Mm -hmm. And he's, the officer's first question is, have you been drinking? Right. Regardless, can you still at least check it out? And then yeah. Matt Dillon even comes out with no crutch. No crutch, yeah. And like does a whole spiel making the cop believe him and then just like offing this girl like, oh, she's just some drunk belligerent girl. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Right. Are you kidding me? That made me so upset. Also, just like, come on. He had no crutch. He has crutch. Yeah, and I guess... Maybe what I liked about this movie the most is it didn't paint the serial killer as like, it wasn't like falling in love with him. You know what no. I mean? Like, you know how so many serial killer movies and podcasts and books like fawn over, wow, this man, he was so smart or so crazy or so lucky. It was just like. Handsome. Or hand. Yeah, exactly. Like all these rationalizations for these abhorrent human beings. Yeah. And this Did not. was not doing that no it was like this is disgusting look at how disgusting it is Ex let us it let us sink into the beauty his brain yeah well let us sink into the beauty of his art and then and then it would rip away the band-aid and be like see how gross this is mm -hmm. this is art but is this what we want art to be like is this is this what we want our culture to aspire to mm -hmm. it was very dark yeah it was very very dark um very dark well because i mean think about it there is there is a real argument to be made about what is art. Because if art is subjective, then it's in the eyes of the beholder. And that means that he was within his right to express that art. Unfortunately, that would mean that he would have to infringe upon everybody else's rights because he kills them. Mm, yeah. and, then, and then it becomes something other than art. It, it becomes something else entirely. Yeah. And you know me, I love the show Hannibal. I think that it's one of the best shows probably mm -hmm. ever made in the history of television. And it kind of dances with that same idea, the nuance of where's the line between art and horror. Yeah. Because if we're going to if we're going to walk that line and you're going to call this art uh but this not art, then that means that there is a clear line and a definition to be had of what art is and what it isn't. Yeah. But since we don't have that and it doesn't help that so many artists are kind of morally ambiguous, if not, you know, socially terrible. Mm -hmm. When a movie like this comes along, it's kind of like a slap in the face. It's like, one, why are you putting these men up on a pedestal? Yeah. A pedestal in the first place. And two, the Verge character is there for us to stay grounded. Because Matt Dillon's character takes us on these whimsical, horrible journeys. 
and then calls it art. And then because it's a movie and the way Lars von Trier uh, films it, it's gorgeous and it's beautiful. And then the old man verge brings us back to reality and grounds us in the fact that what you just saw was murder. What you just witnessed was, you know, why there is an idea of good and evil. Um, yeah, it's and it's crazy because when we talked about it in the other podcast of the Devil's Advocate, but like this would be a film where this nudity scene with this woman, where oh yeah, her breasts are showing, mm-hmm. was accurate to the story yeah. and like sadly needed to be in it like it wasn't well you could you could argue it doesn't it didn't need need, yeah. need it um but imagine that scene without it essentially yeah, it, it he, yeah he the way he's telling the story again mm-hmm. now that i'm rethinking that mm-hmm. he's playing with this woman like the poor thing like she he literally was like scream mm-hmm. scream go ahead let's scream together and he starts screaming with her help there's a serial killer mm-hmm. and she's in a huge apartment complex and there's lights on because they zoom out and give mm-hmm. us the full yeah. picture and no one yeah. is coming to help no yeah. one she screamed he even let her scream outside the window yeah you know what's interesting is that this movie clearly takes place in like the late 80s early 90s mm-hmm. um maybe 70s Maybe yeah. 70s, actually, based on his attire and with the cars they were driving. Yeah. And with the cars they were driving. Um, I don't know if... I don't know how you would make this movie in, like, a modern context. Yeah. It'd be interesting because of the way the technology has improved and whatnot. Uh, obviously, these things still happen, unfortunately, even with our modern context. But I think when this movie ended, we both were just kind of shocked that it could be... That a movie could be made like this. Yeah. And I will say also that it has blown my mind wide open to the possibilities of cinema. For sure. I definitely can see now that the medium of movies is purely endless. It's purely unlimited. And that just because there is like a certain story structure that sells well in Hollywood and in our more mainstream markets doesn't mean that you can't tell a cohesive story with intense impact and meaning mm-hmm. uh, and have it be artistically exceptional and ignore all those. Yeah. Also circling back, should we explain to them why we're saying that this scene of nudity was different than mm. devil's advocate? Yes. Okay. So to circle back, we, we, we've talked a little bit about nudity and horror movies previously, whether it was on uh, nightmare on Elm street or um, devil's advocate, devil's advocate. And uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Devil's Advocate both felt incredibly misogynistic, sexist, and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Didn't serve the story, didn't add to anything, just was a nice scare and bloody boobies, essentially. Yeah. Uh, look at this girl's hot and see how now she's just in her underwear, essentially. And uh, with this movie, it didn't have that feeling. It didn't feel like... They put this in here just so we could see boobs. They didn't put this in here just because she's pretty. They put this in here to put us in her perspective. And boy, oh boy, did it make us uncomfortable. When they did it twice, they were like, let's show you what the potential is Mm -hmm. of what this outcome is going to be. We will share the details. He 
takes a red marker and asks her to go find one. So she's just like, you're weird, man. Okay. Mm-hmm. Goes and finds one, mm-hmm. not thinking this is literally going to be a part of my death. Mm-hmm. And he, as if he's a doctor, like lining up the lines for a breast Plastic augmentation. Surgery, yeah. yeah. He makes a circle around both of her breasts. And we later find out that, you know, he has her choose a knife of which one he's going to choose to cut off her breasts. And then he pins one to the police car that didn't help her earlier. Yeah. And walks away. Yeah. And it's crazy when they pan out to how big that apartment complex was. Right. And how many lights were on and windows were open and no one. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking, now that I'm. Now that I'm thinking about it again, like thinking over that scene and how it all broke down, what was the like? What's the message there? Or is that that was his first time? Like that was the first example he was explaining of uh, not loving someone, but the closest closest thing to love. The closest thing to a relationship. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah, he said the closest thing that a relation to a relationship that a psychopath can have. He was like there, Mm -hmm. and then. She said something. I can't remember the word, but like he was vibing. He had a little cute moment with giving her the phone, like mm-hmm. all that stuff. And she had said something, and he switched. Yeah. And it was like, oh nope, enemy number one. Yeah. Now I'm gonna murder her. Right. And yeah. which has happened with a couple times. Even the the very first incident when mm-hmm. she was in the car, mm-hmm. he had moments to kill this woman. Drove up and down to. Like um again, allegedly, sh- allegedly, this, this yes, is his yes. his perspective. But when he's sharing it, like he's saying all this, and then what we see is, oh, she makes a comment saying, he's not tough enough to kill someone. Right. Yeah. And then he kills her. Right. Yeah. So it's like you see that in other movies with serial killers or mm-hmm. documentaries of the person's like with them, and then they just make one comment, and then that's where they like shots ish hit their ego right but and 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 then keeping in mind that since it's his story that he's telling she might not have said that exactly at all yeah that might have been what he heard yeah when she said something like i don't know this truck or this van's kind of interesting murder-esque like maybe she had just said that like this van's kind of interesting and in his brain he interpreted it as like you are serial killer-esque aren't you mm-hmm. you know because it's his story that he's retelling mm-hmm. and and i'm i'm wondering um you know the it seems like the purpose of this movie was to take a deep dive into the psyche of one of our most fucked up tropes um, and one of the most fucked up existence of human beings, which is serial killers and psychopaths. And mm-hmm. to ask us the question, is this art? If not, why? If yes, why? If both, why? Do we think that this story is still necessary? Like, do we need to keep having serial killer narratives be told? Right? Do we need to continue to have this at the center of our limelight? Um, I mean, no. But I would not be honest with saying that completely because in my head I'm like, when I watch those documentaries or listen to those true crime podcasts, when I'm listening to those, what I'm thinking is, how did that person get there? Mm. What happened in their childhood? If nothing happened in their childhood... What's going on in the brain? Mm-hmm. What's going on up there? What leads someone to do those things when others maybe still have the same thought and don't follow through with those? I just, yeah, the psychology behind it all, mm-hmm. that's where I'm just like, I 
as crazy as it sounds, like enjoyed this depiction of it because of the breakdowns back and forth mini therapy sessions he was having with that guy. Because mm-hmm. that guy was telling him that, no, mm-hmm. you're not that smart. Mm-hmm. You're not special. Mm-hmm. And we're hearing him justify these things or explain away. And it's just like, obviously, my brain doesn't go there. So I'm hearing someone think that. I'm like, how did you get there? Sure. So you you see the element as like having value because it's like an insider's. It's like an insight into the mind of this kind of psychopath. Yeah. See, see, I'm wondering why we I guess my question is, why do we still need that? We have all the information as to what makes them tick. Like nothing is new under the sun at this point. That's true. We have exhaustive you know, lists of people who fit this criteria that we can learn from. Literature is out there. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the information about what makes these people tick and how they get to where they are is already, we already have it. So mm-hmm. is it just like our sick obsession with not being the victim but watching what happens? Or is it that we need to watch the serial killer with like out any real danger but partake in like their fucked up actions? I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know if it it's helping the narrative of all the people that are in love with serial killers. Like, are there fan base, like fan mail to jail type? Sure. Like that doesn't necessarily help necessarily help because they're part of the he was so smart. How did he get away with it? Right, right, right. I, I mean, like culturally, like Hollywood. And these other creative mediums, TV shows, books, whatever, these characters, these serial killers are, you know, insanely popular. Hello, I mean, Hannibal, my favorite show, mm-hmm. right? Insanely. Okay, so why do you like Hannibal so much? That's a great question. I think the reason I like Hannibal so much is because it has the nuance of what is good and what is not good. It, it makes, it purposely blurs the line. But something like this, it's blurring the line of art, not the line of morality i guess or maybe both Mm. and that perhaps is why it has an appeal i just i guess i get concerned because is it like a healthy expression to keep having our art reflect such incredible violence and sexism uh or is it a necessary evil to like expel that fantasy for others i don't know Mm. i do not know i don't know like, for example, is, is there a chance that somebody is going to watch this and be inspired to do what he does? Maybe. I mean, that's with any serial killer that goes on the news or anything like that. There's, that, that has happened. There are copycats of those, right. of those people that, you know. Right. So I, maybe the question is, is it morally irresponsible as a creative to give these type of personalities the limelight as your main character? I don't know. You're thinking of writing some horrors. If I'm going to write a horror movie and it's going to be about a serial killer, I don't know what I would do because a fate worse than death, a fate worse than death for a serial killer movie is that they just get, they get away with it. Mm-hmm. That they just keep on keeping on. That there is no end in sight. That they just grow old kill and die yeah right that might be a fate worse than death like that the serial killer just incubates himself in society and lives on forever and ever um perhaps yeah 
Well, we've given lots of thoughts of what we think. What does Rotten Tomatoes think? Oh, yeah. What do you think? I, I would give it probably an 8 out of 80? 10. 80? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Audience score, probably 60. 62. Let's see. Ooh. The tomato meter gave it a 60%. Wow. Interesting. And the audience score was a 64%. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Do you agree with that? No. I think it should be higher. Um, I'm wondering if that's just like, this, this is just one of those movies that doesn't, is not, was not received well because of the fact that it's a Lars Van Trier movie or not. I, I don't know. We haven't seen a lot of his, we haven't seen any of his other movies. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is the, the shittiest of his movies. We don't know. Maybe. Um, but no, I mean, that seems like fair. 64, 60, if it's just going to be from Rotten Tomatoes, because this movie feels very artsy and very out of the norm for what they would critique. Yeah. Like there's a lot that you could unpack yeah. and how it was filmed that adds even more layers of meaning. I mean, shit, the, the whole running conversation about negative light, mm-hmm. his obsession with the negatives and the fact that the movie ends with him falling into a pit will be assumed to be hell. It's incredibly bright and beautiful, but then becomes negative. a negative photo, which, which kind of flips on our flips on flips the idea of light being good on its head because within the light is the negative photo which yeah. would be the darkness. So they are both coexisting. Um, and I enjoyed that allegory as well throughout the movie with, which the, with the negative and the photos and, and how he was talking about that and how Verge talked about that with him. Um, it was a movie that really made you think. So I think maybe that might be the only way you could do serial killer movies is to don't let the audience leave without making them think about how abhorrent that type of person is. Don't give them any permission slips for excusing this behavior. Like, show us how abhorrent it is. Show us how fucked up the inners, inner parts of his mind are so we know that this isn't just some fantastical beast in a story that gets taken down by the good guy. Mm, yeah. Do you feel like how they created the title the house that jack built do you feel like it was necessary how they ended it absolutely or could they just have kept that was one of my he was building a house the whole time that was one of my favorite parts of this movie is that (laughs) we forget about the house he's trying to build in washington fun fact in washington state uh and at the end like right when you forget about it the old man says jack weren't you talking about something about building a house Mm-hmm. And he ends up using all the corpses in his freezer to build this house where at the bottom, in, with, when he walks into the house, is where he follows the old man mm-hmm. down to hell. Yeah. Um, that was a stunning sequence of events. I mean, it was, you, you're wondering the whole time why this movie is called The House That Jack Built, and you think it's because of the, what's going to happen in the house that he built in Washington. Mm-hmm. And then right when you forget about that, the old man reminds you, and that happens. I mean, it was... Yeah. It was... uh, Crazy. It was a crazy-ass ending, for sure. Like, easily one of the craziest movies I've ever watched in in my life. A lot. It it was... Yeah, it was a lot. It's not a a recommended lightly film. Yeah, I would only recommend it to people who are comfortable with what we've said thus far. (laughs) If you're not comfortable with anything we've said thus far in this podcast episode i would not recommend this movie at all 
Um, but if you do watch it, we'd love to chat with you about it. That's what we've been doing yeah, we need, since we've watched it. Yeah, we need somebody else to watch it in our circle so we can talk to them about it. <laughs> right yeah. now, we're just talking to each other back and forth for yeah. uh, for a cool minute now. So we got to bring somebody else in. Yeah. So. Well, shit. I mean, maybe we should just go watch The Grinch mm-hmm. <laughs> as a new frame of reference <laughs> to remember what cinema can look like versus what cinema looks like. <laughs> Either way. Are you happy you watched it? Happy is an interesting word. Are you content that you watched it? I am content that I watched it. Okay. And that it made me think. I'm happy I watched it so that I could have my understanding of cinema expanded and Mm. kind of crushed to be rebuilt. (laughs) Yeah. All in all, glad we watched it. And if you're open to watch it, chat with us. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if somebody wanted to watch it with me again, I would watch it again. Oof. Uh, I had said the other day that I wouldn't, but after we've been talking about it, I think I, think I, would, I would. I think I would want to watch it again with somebody who hasn't watched it so we can talk about it afterwards with the added nuance of me being able to already see it and watch it twice and somebody watching it new. So getting to talk about it with somebody who has a fresh perspective with my uh, rewatch. Yeah. But hey. This was a, a messy one for sure. Swimming upstream with us on this one. This is we can as we trudge through horror. Thank yeah. you for trudging with us. Thanks for trudging. <laughs> and uh, I love you, babe. Thanks for another wonderful love episode. You too. Thanks, guys, for listening and trudging. Trudging with us, us lovebirds. Thanks for listening to Upstream. Upstream. Tell your friends about it. And your family. And and, your, and not your friends. Anyone? And, yeah, actually, just go please. scream it on the street corner. Yeah, Stefan did it at a concert, so. <laughs> That's true, I did. I just died. spread the word, everyone. Hopefully everybody knows about it now. <laughs> All right, babe, I love you. Love you, bye. Bye. Hey, it's Stefan. Thanks again for listening to Upstream. Nicole and I didn't start this podcast because we like watching movies. No, we started this podcast because we love watching movies together. Movies, like so many other artistic mediums, are often attempts to escape reality, especially when reality hits hard. Therefore. This message is for you, the listener, to know that we don't know what you're going through exactly, but we hope you find a movie that helps you feel not so alone, and maybe even encourages you to go find someone to watch a movie with. With that in mind, here are a few clips to hopefully help you remember that movies can help you know how colorful and wonderful life truly is. Until next time. I promise I will not kill you until you reach the top. That's very comforting. But I'm afraid you'll just have to wait. If I may repay the kindness you once showed me. Take a knee. This is it, Joel. It's gonna be gone soon. I know. Yes! Behold my Lord Ulrich! The Rock! The hard place! Like a wind from Geldland, he sweeps by, blown far from his homeland in search of glory and honor. We walk in the garden of his turbulence. The day I realized Fanny was in love with me was strange. It was the day he gave Mama that sculpture. Dear Mr. Will, one thing I've learned in 20 years in education is that there are two sides to every story. So I think I can imagine what started the fight. While nothing justifies striking another student, I know good friends are worth defending. Give me a hit. 
okay. Let your head rest in my hand. Relax. I got you, I promise. I'm not gonna let you go. Hey, man, I got you. There you go. Ten seconds. See that right there? You're in the middle of the world, man. 